Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88,000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. All right. Well, good morning. Thank you again for being here with us. If you are new, we welcome you here. Make yourself at at, at home. Um, we are in a series um, that uh, we're starting part three today. But before I hop in, I want to invite every man in the house to join us on Friday mornings at 630 in the morning for Better Man. Uh, we had about 50 this past Friday morning. Uh, it was great. Uh, had, had a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, the best part is we had about three or four different churches here, and uh, so it was it was more of just a, a community gathering of men, and uh, so it's not too too late. We actually start the curriculum this Friday, so if you missed this past week, um, it's still okay. So uh, show up here six thirty Friday mornings, and uh, we're going to have a, a great time. Show up here six thirty Friday mornings, and uh, we're going to have a, a great time. Listen, we're in a series called Don't Be That Couch, okay? And I know that if you're just coming in, that's going to sound really weird, uh, but hopefully I can catch you up on it the next couple of minutes. But I'm going to give you a recap of the past two weekends and then hop into the message this morning. But the first week, we talked about the church becoming more than just a place uh, for it to be personal to us. And much like that couch, and I have a picture of it, uh, this is a like almost a, an the exact image of what my grandparents bought in in the 40s. Um, But much like this couch, uh, your religion or your walk with God, however you want to frame that, was exciting at first. And we talked about this in week, week one, but over the years it became something like this couch that became guarded or protected or more sacred uh, than anything, uh, than something to be enjoyed. And over, over time, church became a place for you. So you go into church, you clock in, you leave, you clock out, you become two different people, you're your church person and your, your marketplace person. And it's no longer a gathering for you that's very, very personal. Okay, And I used just some examples of how it was personal for some folks. But last week, we move from that to talk about the ecclesia or the gathering, the assembling together that Jesus spoke about and said would never end. We talked about how you and I are the stewards of the story of Jesus and how we are all part of a body with each person doing its part in that ecclesia to move this story forward to grow the kingdom based upon your giftedness and the role that you play in that body, okay? So this week, what I'm going to do is challenge you to look at how being that couch can lull you into religious comfort, and then I hope to give you a way uh, to combat that, to just realize are you perhaps trapped in some comfortability. Maybe you've been there for a long time. Maybe this comfortability is what you thought it was like to follow Jesus. So I just kind of want to want to take you gently by the shoulders and shake you just a little, okay? You ever grab, grabbed your kid and you wanted to shake him a lot, but you shook him just a little bit? That's what I'm going to do with you this morning. And so 
There is a question that I like to ask myself, and perhaps this comes once, maybe twice, three times a year for me, and it's a time of reflection. It tends to come in quiet times. Um, it tends to come in challenging seasons, but it's a question that refocuses me. It forces me to assess where I am and where I want to be. It's a question that can really be aimed at anything in your life. It can be aimed at your body, your soul, your spirit, your marriage, your finances, your friendships. This question can aim at any direction you want to point at. And that question is this, what is next? And I believe, and I'm gonna, I hope to share this theologically with you in just a moment, but I believe in the New Testament, I believe that all these, these men and women who were following Jesus post-resurrection had to ask themselves this question, like, what's next for us? Like, we've been following this guy for three and a half years. We walked away from our, our careers. Uh, we've lost friends over this. We, we know that there's something on our lives now that is different than it was three and a half years ago, but... What do I do now? Like, like what's, what's the next chapter? What's next for me? And I think as westernized Christians, we can get stuck here because it seems to be a pattern in Western Christianity that we, we have a moment, we're really fired up, maybe it's emotional, maybe we shed tears, it's excitement about a new page and following Jesus, and then within a couple of years, there's some fizzle there. Um, we realize that church isn't perfect because it's made up of imperfect people, and if it was perfect, it became imperfect when you showed up. And so uh, suddenly there's this like, what do I do? Like, what's next for me? And I think this is a great question. And when we ask this, I think we often wonder things like, will I graduate? Will that day ever come? Will I get married? Will that day ever come? Will I have children? Will I be moving? Will I change careers? Will I be a grandparent? Will I soon be taking care of my own parents? Will I ever retire. We ask what is next in that type of dialogue, but I think oftentimes we can fall short um, with our internal spiritual dialogue of going, what is next for me spiritually? Like, God, what do you have for me? Not in terms of career, not in terms of friendship or a city to live in or something to do with my hands every day, but what do you have for me spiritually? What is in here that you want to grow and expand and empower? What is next for me? Because oftentimes we consider the point of salvation the finish line when in reality it was the starting block for you. And sometimes people are stuck there for years and years and years uh, having never heard the gunshot to run, run the race that is before them. I think as this series reveals, there are Christians who once upon a time were broken people and they received Christ. I think all of us were, were one of those, broken in some way, certainly lost. And we received Christ and we were baptized and maybe you took communion or you took a class and there was some rite of passage that communicated to you, I've started. 
and you begin a journey of faith, and maybe you, from that point, you attended a church or a small group or a Sunday school, and you gave some money, and you went on a missions trip, and you fed someone, and you clothed someone, and then as the years of doing that move forward and forward and forward, you find yourself aging, and so you take this faith baton, and you turn around, and you hand it to someone younger than you, and you say, now you carry this and go on, and we mosey off into a sunset of faith in the hopes that the story of Jesus continues. And I say this because this pattern really um, has fleshed out a lot in the past hundred years, and I'm going to use that time frame because most of the churches that you and I grew up in were birthed in a revival that swept across our country in the 1900s. So this great awakening came to this country, um, led by some very passionate people, some incredible communicators, and churches all over the place and living rooms and front porches filled up with people wanting to just hear more of, of the story of Jesus. They wanted to be together. They wanted to pray together. They wanted to see miracles. And so as they would sing and gather, the Spirit of the Lord would just sit with them, and they were, they were changed. And because of that, entire movements were birthed out of it. But then it seems like over this past hundred years that people have, again, come into, into this pattern of experiencing the warmth of that fire and then walking away and, and settling for just smelling like smoke. They're no longer in a fire of revival, if you will, but they, they smell and reek of having once experienced it. And... The truth be told, there might be some of you here this morning and you're weary in faith. Maybe life has hit you in the gut with something you couldn't explain, with something you had no context for, with a challenging relationship, with a challenging child, with something that was very permanent. And for you, it's, it's breathtaking. You, you haven't been able to bounce back. And maybe because of that, if you did a true assessment, you would find yourself this morning kind of lukewarm, just sitting here, knowing just enough about the gospel that now you're miserable, but you don't really have the courage or the want to, to even turn a page or even ask the question, Lord, what is next for me? And to talk this out in scripture today, I want to use the story of the children of Israel and I would just say it this way. Obviously, this story takes up many books of the Bible. So I'm not going to read all of that. But if you took the children of Israel and you put them in parentheses and you set it on, on your Bible and suddenly it was a line graph, this, would, this story, this group of people would be a very large spike in the attitudes and the tipping point of the people of God. You would see it. It would be like the children of Israel, okay? And so I want to give you a quick recap of the book of Exodus just to give you some context, okay? And here it is. In chapter 2, Moses kills an Egyptian. This is a kid with an incredible story of being rescued, saved. He shouldn't even be alive, but he is 
um, a mom who was very um, bent on making sure he survived. He grows up in royalty. He kills an Egyptian, buries him. They realize, or he realizes he was seen, and he runs off for years and years and years and years. That alone will preach this morning. So then in chapter 3, one chapter later, God finds him. And he reveals himself to him in a burning bush. And it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And the voice of God comes and he takes off his shoes because it's holy. I mean, this is a crazy moment. And so he sees this burning bush and then he tells him, I've got a next for you. You feel stuck and you feel like you can't get past this terrible deed and you feel like you're supposed to just hide out here with your father-in-law. And It's honorable, Moses. It's honorable, but it's not what's next for you. So he spends two chapters encouraging him, speaking into his life, reminding him that he's, he's loved and valued. And in chapter 5, two chapters after seeing this burning bush, he goes to the most powerful man in the known world and says, I want you to let all these people go. And that Pharaoh is like, that's not going to happen. So Pharaoh says no. One chapter later, God says yes. In chapter 7 through 12, we see this unleashing, and this is something that for some of you is very theologically strange. We see this unleashing of God's judgment upon Pharaoh for saying no. And we see these 10 plagues. I'm going to give them to you because some of you kind of dropped off at the end of Genesis on your one-year Bible plan. You got time to catch up, but you better really hurry because if you're in like Genesis 3, you're going to have to speed up. The first one was water in, into blood, then frogs, then lice. At that point, I would have said, let's let the people go. Flies, the killing of their livestock, boils, a hailstorm, locusts, three days in darkness, and then the ultimate, the death of their firstborn. So then, in chapter 12, the exodus begins. They all start to leave. God sits upon them and is constantly every day reminding them that he is God, he is God, he is God. And there, there's a reason for this. But in chapter 14, there's the crossing of, of the Red Sea. So you know the whole story there. Two chapters later, manna falls. So this type of bread falls from the sky. And now they're all thirsty, right? So they've all got cracker mouth. And then in verse 17, or chapter 17, one chapter later, he's like, I got to water these guys. So water comes from a rock, and they all drink from it. And then Aaron and Hur hold up the hands of Moses as they fight the Amalekites. In chapter 20, the Ten Commandments are given to Moses. In chapter 20 through 31, is all about the ways that these people should, should live. Now, keep in mind, this is one reason why he's got to tell them, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, because all they've known is slavery for 400 years. So God is having to teach them, this is how my people are going to act. This is how they're going to respond to life. This is how they're going to get along. 
This is how their, their relationships are going to go. And he's communicating to them the vision for life. Chapter 33, God passes by Moses. He puts him in the cleft of a rock, puts his hand over him, walks by him, and, God, and Moses sees the glory of God. Now, this is very important. The, the, the commandments and this cleft of the rock scenario happens at Sinai. They've been there for a while. They like it there. Um, they, they get comfort, comfortable there. They're tired of, of walking this path that they've walked for 40 years, and they've camped at Sinai. And in chapter 33, God tells them this, you have got to leave Sinai. This is important. Because Sinai was a place for them of rest. It was a place of seeing the miraculous, but it was not the end. There was more to this story. So God said, I gave you this. It's a gift. You've had this time with me. It's been wonderful. I'm not leaving you. But you have to turn the page and go further. There's a kingdom to conquer. There's some incredible stories ahead of you. And so my first talking point this morning is going to be this, to know what is next, you have to know where you are right now. There cannot be a next without a now. So you've got to know, like, this is where I'm at. I'm lukewarm. I'm dying on the, on the vine here. I'm weary. Some of you might be just the most encouraged you've ever been. That's wonderful. You may be here this morning. This is your best year, and that's wonderful. But you've got to know where you are right now so that you know what comes next. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been lost? Okay, men, it's okay to raise your hand. But if you've ever been lost in this place, I want you to lift your hand up. Like, you've, you've been lost. Robbie, raise your hand. You're lying. Raise your Okay. All right, so... I've been lost before, and Robbie makes fun of me when we travel because she has to navigate me really well, as in like, hey, you see that exit up there? We're going to turn right at that exit. Change lanes, slow down, now. That's how, that's how I have to be navigated. So when you go on a 10-hour trip with me, it's a lot of fun. I don't know where my mind goes, but I'm, I'm not behind the wheel. I'm somewhere else. So we have to ask, where am I? And another important question here could be, how did I get here? Like, how did I get in, in, a, in a place that I'm so discouraged or so weary or so lukewarm? What, what habit or cycle in my life, what pattern exists in my life that has, has led me to this point. And so in order to know next, you've got to know now. You gotta, you gotta be able to have this epiphany, this self-check, this gut check where you realize, hey, th this is where I'm at. I'm at with God, and I'm I'm not as hot as I used to be. And you know, there was a time in my life where I was very zealous and I was open to 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 change and I was open to learning and relearning and I was open to and suddenly you have become that couch that is guarded and protected, 
and you don't want it moved, and you don't want it gone, and you don't want people sitting on it, and you don't want people looking at it, and you cover it in plastic, and you hope there's no mistakes, and it's like this becomes that rigid religion that we talked about in week one and two. And so you're now, it's, it's, not, it's not fun anymore. And this is what this whole series is really about, is about challenging your now so that you can have a next. Listen, the prodigal son, I love that story, and there's one line in it that gets me every time. If I'm, I'm alone, I often get tearful on it because it's so real. And the Bible says, when he came to himself, man, I love that. It means there's this moment, and you know the story, there's this moment, you know, he's with pigs and he's, he he's, comes from money and he's taken his part of it and he's spent it and he's squandered, he's made some stupid choices. But he comes to himself and he realizes, man, I'm, I'm better than this. I think he might have looked down. You know, in my mind's theater, this is how it plays out. You know, he looks down, he sees the mud on his hands, and he smells himself. He realizes that this is what the Bible says, that he would eat what the pigs left over. You know, that's bad. Anybody ever had a bad day? It wasn't that bad. You know, he's scrounging through the slop just to find a leftover. But he came to himself and he said, I can do, I can do better than this. And I just want to take just a spiritual pause and let that sink in for a moment because it's possible that someone is here in a chair and you look great and you're dressed nice and you pulled up this morning with a straight face and you walked in. But if you really look at where you are right now, you're in need of an epiphany. To go, there's, there's more for my life. Like, I don't, I don't have to be a jerk anymore. I don't, I don't have to be caught in this addiction anymore. I don't, I don't have to be captured by lust anymore. And so what was next for him was simple. Go home. Go back to your dad's place. Ask him if you can just be a servant. Go home. And you know, this, this story has always been applicable. Man, we've preached it for centuries. It's so good. But you know, he goes home and he's like, listen, can I just come and just be a servant? Can I just be a lowly? And you know how all that unfolds. And I'm not here to preach the prodigal son. But he came to himself. And that's my prayer for you this morning. That you would come to yourself. That you would look at your, at your now and realize that, that your next involves you knowing that right now you are trapped or you are depressed or you have one leg out of a marriage or, or you are considering going back to a person that you thought you waved goodbye to. And you need to come home too. Come back to, to believing in Christ. Come back to healing. Come back to deliverance. He came to himself. And the children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. That plays out to be 14 generations. It's like your papa and his papa and his papa and his papa. 
On and on and on. Slavery, slavery, slavery. Stuck. Can't, can't get out. And these guys, and you've heard, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard this, but it only takes from where they were at in Egypt to start the journey in Canaan about 11 days. But they spent 40 years going in a circle because they couldn't get out of, of who they were. They could not trade slavery for sonship. And it took them 40 years to turn that switch off and walk into a new room and turn the light on and realize that right now I might be a slave. Right now I might be bound to something, but the Lord has a next for me. And that next can begin right now, an 11-day journey. It took them 40 years to get that mess out of them. So listen. You can walk in circles. Hear me. You can walk in circles and get to heaven. You can. Circling in in your faith has nothing to do with your eternal position, but it has everything to do with your earthly potential. So you, you can walk in circles and get there. Is it God's best for you? No. So it's like, I want to break this cycle. I want to figure out what's next for me. I don't, want to be a, I don't want to be a 1940s couch in my faith. I don't want to take one experience and cover it in plastic and put it in the corner and tell people not to sit on it. I don't want to get mad at folks when they look at it and address it and tell me it's out of date. I want what God has for me right now in this moment. The children of, of Israel could have stopped and stayed and survived at Sinai, but they would have never reached their potential. They could have stayed there. They could have built tabernacles. They could have said, this is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. This is where the glory of the Lord passed by him. This is our place. We're not in bondage anymore. This is fantastic. We're going to raise our children here and our grandchildren. We're forever going to talk about the goodness of God, but it wasn't the end of the story for them. And I'm afraid that as modern believers, oftentimes we've settled in and we've said, this is just the end of the story. Like I gave my heart to the Lord. I've been water baptized. I take communion. I do the things. I come to church. I serve. But there's something in you that God's wanting to expand Build off of, add to, grow, stretch. God wants some of you to believe for something again. When's the last time you believed for God to do something in your life that seemed impossible? Think about it. When's the last time you really prayed a prayer of faith? could be because you've been this couch. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but rhetorically, how many of you in this place are over the age of 40? Well, let me tell you this, if you are, I believe just like the children of Israel, the second half of your life can be more exciting than the first half of your life if you figure out what's next. There was this guy, he was uh, 
climbing Mount, Mount Everest. I read about this a few years ago, and a lot of people do this. I've done it at least three times myself. Sorry, I, I got to make sure you guys are listening, and obviously none of you were. This is, this is not encouraging at all. So there's a lot of people who climb Everest, and it's, it's always um, amazing to me for the simple fact that I would never do it. Never. I have no interest. I don't have the physical ability. I don't care to train for it. I don't care to spend the $100,000 it takes to go there. I would be divorced if I spent $100,000 to climb a, a rock. Um, but a lot of pe- people do it, and they love it. It's a big bucket list for them. And if they don't make it, they at least try. And this guy, I'm reading this story about this guy. And there's this, there's this point of Everest that they call the death zone. And once you get past it, like your body is literally dying. And you can only spend a certain amount of time there. And so you've got to really balance the push that you make when you cross this line to summit. So if the weather isn't good, if you're not feeling it, if you're if you become ill, um, if your equipment fails, all the things that can go wrong, you, you've, you've almost got to have the perfect scenario happening to summit. But this guy did something. He said, I know me, and I know that when I get to this place, if, if I'm going to summit, I'm going to go. And so I have to set a timer that tells me how long I've been in the death zone because if I get up there and I can't come down, then what's the point? And I love that. I love the wisdom in it because for him, the win was not just to summit. The the win was, I got to come home. Like, I got to get there, but then I got to come back home. The point I want to bring up is this. I think this is a life lesson. It's wisdom for all of us because the big point for all of us in this room is to finish well. Like whatever you're trying to summit, whatever you're trying to do, whatever you're trying to accomplish, those parts in you that that are going to take a big push, finish them really well. And it may take you three attempts to get to what's next. It may not be an overnight thing. It may be really hard. It may be a big stretch of faith. It may take you repeating it over and over and over again to really make a push but finish it well. Finish it strong. The second thing, and I'm out of time. That was a long first point. But let me say this. Leaving your present requires God's presence. In Exodus, when Moses was talking to the Lord, and he said, listen, you got to leave Sinai, he does this incredible prayer, and he says this, now therefore I pray, show me your way. To put this in context for this morning, he's saying, show me what's next. Show me. And two verses later, he goes a step further and he says, if your presence does not go with us, then leave us here. It's pretty strong. If you're not going with us, leave us here because Sinai's been good. Lord, I've, I've talked to you. This place is holy to me. I've, I've talked to you here. I've received commandments. I've, I've, I've seen your face. I've, I've done amazing things here. Please just, if you're not going, 
and leave us here. Please don't be a finger just pointing in, in, in a direction for me, but go with me, go with me, go with me. I'm going to tell you something. God's with you. He's going. He's going with you. The what's next is no reason to have fear because God is not just pointing you somewhere. He is going to walk with you. You just got to have the courage to take, take a step. Moses knew if we go without God, then we will live a mediocre existence. All these people will marry and have two children and drive two cars and have a mortgage and completely settle for some version of comfort. But if you go with us, we will conquer lands. We will see miracles. We will live an abundant life. And every day will be the sweet spot for us if you go with me. This has to be a prayer for us. God, I want to go where you're going. I want to go where you're going. Third, let me end with this. Sinai in your life and my life has to be a rest stop, but not a residence. Sinai is, is a gift. It's, it's a thing. It's a place for you. And some of you have had some great experiences in, in your life. And, and it, metaphorically, let's just call them Sinai. You've had some great moments, some great prayers, some great camps, some great conferences. You've, 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 you've been to some places and, and heard some great speaking. You've, you've heard some great worship leaders in, in your day. All those places can be Sinai's, but Sinai's are rest stops. They're places where you can pause and catch your breath and give God thanks and have, have a meal and break bread with the Holy Spirit and then on to what is next for you. Sinai was preparing the children of Israel to shut a door on 400 years of being slaves and start a new chapter on what it would look like for them to be warriors. When you stay at Sinai, you become the couch. You get lazy. When you stay at Sinai, you become spiritually complacent. You stop dreaming. You stop seeking and knocking and expecting. Quickly, let me remind you of this. David was supposed to be at war when he had the biggest moral failure of his life. The Bible says it was the time when kings went to battle that he was on his rooftop, saw Bathsheba, made a terrible mistake. Why wasn't he at war? Because he was weary, tired of fighting, complacent, had won every trophy. All the songs about him had been sung. The harps had been put up. There were no more parties in the street over what he was doing. And he was bored. So he stayed home. Uzzah. His father was a priest. The Ark of the Covenant was in his house his whole life. David said, I want to bring this home. So Uzzah and his brother were responsible for transporting it. And he was so comfortable with it that he reached out and put his hand on it. Killed him. So complacent with the presence of God that nothing was sacred anymore. Gideon, he thought so little of, of himself that he looked at an angel of the Lord and said, you have got the wrong person. That's not me. That's how much he had stopped dreaming. It's not me. Judas, oh, this one breaks my heart. 
He was so close. But so far away at the same time. I heard a pastor preach one time and he was thundering away at this thought. And he paused and he just said, there's a, there's a little bit of Judas in all of us. And boy, that hit me in the chest to think, God help me that I'm, I'm not so close to the miracles and the conversations. and the, I can feel your breath on my cheek. but I'll kiss the other one to betray you. It's so close. And all these people had a Sinai that they were dealing with. And Sinai's a great man. I could, I could take the next hour and talk about all the ones in my own life that have led me to even why I'm privileged to even just stand here in front of you every week break this incredible book open. Sinai's are great, but they're made to walk away from. You got to walk away from them. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time doing this morning. So I want you to bow your heads with me really quick in this place today.